So today we are continuing our, I guess, pretty deep dive, um, pretty slow walk through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're to a part of Jesus' teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount, super, super well-known uh, passage of Scripture. It's Jesus talking about the kingdom of God that he's ushering in, and some of the kind of counterintuitive, upside-down ways that citizens of that kingdom live and act and behave. Um, important question about this teaching, I think we gotta get right up front, and that is, who is he preaching to? And so the Bible tells us, Matthew tells us in Matthew 5, 1, it says, one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Now, this isn't talking about the 12. He's going to put that team together later. He's talking to all of these people that have decided that they believe in him and they are following him and they want to be like him and they want to be transformed by his example and by his teaching into the new humanity that he came to give birth to uh, for the kingdom that he came to establish, the kingdom of God. So he's talking to his followers. So here's a question. Should we expect non-Jesus followers to adopt these teachings and adapt their lives to them? Why would they, right? Why would they? Um, sometimes I think um, Christians like to sort of go after non-believers and criticize them as being immoral or as being dirty, um, especially when it becomes to sexual behaviors. It's like, you know, you need to clean up your act and come to Jesus, um, but that's, that's actually backwards right? Because all of us come to Jesus dirty and broken and full of sin and self and shame. And then we experience his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness. And then by his teaching and by his example and by his spirit, he heals us and he changes us. So should we as followers of Jesus get in on this teaching and have our lives transformed by it. Yeah, this, is, this teaching is for us who have come to follow Jesus, not non-believers, at least not yet. And I'll just say that I think a lot of Christians would be a lot more effective in sharing the gospel if we would spend more of our time telling people how amazing Jesus is and about his grace and his love and his forgiveness and letting them experience him and maybe less time criticizing how they currently stack up against his teaching. Once he's, once he's changed their hearts, then the behaviors will follow. Amen? Okay, now we start, start the clock. This teaching, listen, it's not for them. It's for us. This is to help us understand ourselves and our sexuality and our sexual desire and what Jesus says it is to be a human being in the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you now, Jesus and the Bible have a lot to say about sex and a lot to say about sexual desire. And you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say that sex is bad. Historically, I think some Christians have tried to control people's behavior with this scary, repressive stuff. Oh, sex is dirty and it's bad, and it should be done in the dark because I guess God can't see it there. I don't know, right? <laughs> and, you know, good Christian people don't do that stuff, and they don't think about that stuff or talk about that stuff. But can I tell you something? Sex does not belong to darkness. 
Sex doesn't belong to Satan. It's an amazing part of God's creation. It's, it's his plan for humans. In fact, Genesis 120, we're starting a revival today, aren't we? Right? <laughs> Listen, I guess, stay with me, men, because it's going to flip here in a minute. Uh, <laughs> Genesis 127, it says, God cre- intentionally created humans in his image and in two genders. Right? That's what it says. It says, he, he created male and female, right? It says, in his image, he created them, male and female. He created them, and he told them to get busy, right? He told them, right, be fruitful and multiply. What do, you, what do you think he meant by that, right? Fill the earth, he said, and God, listen, God saw their bodies, and God saw that they were like this weird, like they're the same, they're humans, but they're different and they could somehow come together in this profound way. In verse 31, God saw that it was all very good. The Bible doesn't say, God does not say that sex is bad. It was his idea. Listen, you were engineered for it, right? I mean, he specifically created the genders for this reason. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to celebrating sexual desire. What's it called? Song of Solomon. It's all about this young shepherd and this beautiful woman, and they're coming into this covenant relationship, and they're just crazy passionate for each other, and they're excited about each other's bodies, and it's just full of, like, poetry and images, and it's, it's hot, man. Uh, but there's, there's, there's some cultural differences, so it may be a little, it feels watered down, I think, to us because of some cultural language stuff. Like, you know, it might not be that much of a turn on for you, you know. Oh, your hair is like sheep wool. You know, that's, <laughs> your neck is like a strong tower, right? That's not, your mouth is like a pomegranate. That, that, does that like lose something in the, in the, so guys, here's a tip for you. I mean, you come to church so you can learn, right? Um, next time you're on a romantic date with your wife, quote the Song of Solomon to her. I'm telling you, your hair is that of a beautiful goat. <laughs> your teeth are like a bunch of sheep walking back from the river. And here's the one. Your thighs are like the giant cedars of Lebanon. <laughs> that will... <laughs> That'll get her going right there. <laughs> That'll get you punched in the mouth right there. So, but listen, to them, to them, their culture, their language, right, their world, that was, that was exciting and beautiful and sexy. And it was, it was supposed to be. And this, this book, Song of Solomon, was, was read in synagogue every year during Passover. Jesus sat with his mom in synagogue as a kid every, at least once a year and heard this book. The Bible does not say, Jesus never said, God does not say that sex is bad. It's good. It's very good. It's, it, it's a complicated good, right? You know, one of the metaphors that we use still um, for, for sexuality or sexual desire is fire, Right, um, Solomon eight, um, Song, of Solomon, Song, Song of Solomon eight says, "Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters can't quench it, or rivers drown it." And we still use that same metaphor, don't we? Don't we still talk about the heat of passion? 
didn't Elvis say he was a hunka hunka burning <laughs> love, right? That's, that's what we say, right? When you, somebody is attractive, you don't say they're cold, right? You say, no, they're hot because fire is like a metaphor for sexual desire. So here's a question, is fire good? It's like a trick question, right? Um, is, 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 is fire bad? Kind of, yeah, it's complicated, thank you. Um, you know, if you're alone in the woods on a cold, dark night, fire is good, right? If you're having a romantic dinner by candlelight, fire's good, right? Um, if you roast marshmallows in it and press it between graham crackers and Hershey bars, man, fire is very good. But if a spark from that fire should jump out and burn a hole in your shirt, well, fire's bad, right? If that candle should fall off the table, and land on your sheepdog and turn him into a ball of fur fire and he's running around screaming in pain, well, yeah, fire's bad. If your whole house and everything you love were to be engulfed in flames and your whole neighborhood destroyed and people dying of smoke inhalation and their flesh being consumed by flame, then fire's very bad. So is it... Is it good? Is, is it bad? It's, it's hard, right? It's, it's tricky. It's tricky. Um, there's a word in our English language. Some of our, I think you guys noticed, some words in English are awesome, and some of the language is like super stupid. Like, you've heard these things like, like you know, why do we say we park in the driveway, but we drive on the parkway, right? It's like that language does, doesn't make sense. Um, why do we say when we get a delivery, by car, we call it a shipment, but when something comes by ship, we call it cargo. <laughs> like, like the words aren't, the words, we need to do better, right? These words, why do we call what a doctors do, what doctors do, practicing medicine? We need a better word, man, that's, <laughs> that's no good, right? Sometimes our language just doesn't make sense. Don't you think the word palindrome should be the same spelled backwards and forward? <laughs> Just wait for that one. Uh, so some, some of our words, like, they don't work. They don't really make sense to us. But you want me to tell you a really great word? Fireplace. That's a good word right there. You know what a fireplace is? It's a place for fire. Right? That, that's awesome. And in the right place, fire is good. And fire is awesome, and it's amazing. And in the wrong place, then fire is damaging and destructive, and it causes incredible pain. And isn't it the same with sexual desire? In the, in the context of a loving covenant relationship between a man and a woman, God says it, and a lot of us have seen it firsthand, sex and sexual desire is really, really good. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it's no wonder that it sells everything, right? From cars to toothpaste, right? Everything. No wonder God wrote a book about it, right? No wonder everybody talks about it all the time and thinks about it all the time and writes songs about it. It's, it's that good. But when sexual desire gets outside of the fireplace, then I think we've all seen the damage that it can cause. Um, when it draws people to, to violate the promises that they made. You know, some of us know the pain of being cheated on. And some of us as children saw our families torn apart 
by misplaced sexual desire. And some of us in this room have been used for sex and then just discarded when we find out later that that person didn't care at all about us. And some of us know the pain of sexual abuse and even violence. And some of us went through that as innocent, vulnerable children. And some of us have done things that we know is wrong. And we have violated promises that we made. And we've hurt people. And all products of sexual desire in the wrong place. So sex and, and sexual desire is not bad. It is good. It's, it's very good. But it is a force to be reckoned with. So Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. What's he hyperlinking to? What, what's he referring to? Where is that commanded? Ten commandments, right? And just like, just like he's been saying, he's, I haven't come to abolish the law, right? I'm taking it to another level. He says, you know, your, the law says don't commit adultery, but I say, he's going next level now, right? Anybody who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's like we talked about last week with murder, right? Yeah, it's like the law is good. He's not abolishing the law is good. The law is good. Yeah, do not have sex outside your covenant marriage, but there's more to it than that. Let's go to the next level. And Jesus says, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Let's talk about that. Let's, let's get that right. And I'm telling you, guys, this is a huge deal to Jesus. And as Jesus followers, it should be a huge deal to us. And he's not just talking about, you know, jumping into bed with somebody. He's he, even looking at him, he says, even looking at him, like look at the harsh language that Jesus, I mean, you know Jesus, right? Right? He's nice, huh? But look at the language that he uses. And he's just talking about looking at somebody in this way. Verse 29, he just said, if you, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Verse 29, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your good hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jeez, Jesus, like, he's, he's pretty worked up about, he's talking about gouging out eyes, right? He's talking about chopping off hands. He's talking about burning in hell. Like, what's the big deal, you know? I mean, we are talking about just a look, right? How's that, how's that hurting anybody? So let's, let's talk about this, this look that he's talking about. Um, if you see a beautiful woman or a beautiful man, is it, is it a sin to notice them? To notice that they're pretty? Come on, guys, you can say it. It's not a sin, right? Margaret and I were out to dinner the other night, and I'm, we're sitting at this table, and I told her, look at that man over there. That, I'm telling you, that is the prettiest man I ever saw, remember? <laughs> and Margaret goes, I know. <laughs> you know, pretty quick with that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Beautiful creation, right? I like sunsets too, right? Beautiful, that's awesome. Created in God's image, that's awesome. But like, where's that line? Right? Where do we cross that line? How, how long are we looking before it gets to be sin? 
And my good friend Robert Emmett at CBC taught me something very valuable on a message years ago. And instead of all this, you know, religious mumbo jumbo, he said, I'll tell you how long, three seconds. There it is, three seconds, man, that's long enough to say, wow, good job, God. <laughs> right? Do I know her? Can I help her? And then that's it. And then we move on. And three seconds. In fact, when we started CBCB, and we wanted people to leave CBC and come out here, I even offered a four-second rule. <laughs> Let's just, we're just, we're trying to promote the church, man. We went with a 9% tithe for a while, some of you remember, and that was that we're trying to draw some people out here. So listen, it's, it's okay, okay. The three-second rule is silly, obviously, but that's kind of what Jesus meant. Uh, he isn't talking about just looking at a beautiful woman or a beautiful man. He's talking about looking at them. It says, with lust. And there's a word that you haven't used this week, right? Lust, we don't talk about that very much. But I think, even though we don't use that term very often, I think, I think you know the look. And maybe you've had somebody look at you that way. Or maybe you've looked at someone. This, this, isn't, this isn't just noticing an attractive person. It's this idea of like ogling, you know, this like, like, like staring. And like, think of this. What's the purpose of the stare? On that particular look, what, what's, what's the purpose of the look? Is it to thank God for his wonderful creation? Or is it to see if we can help them? No, Jesus is talking about something different. He's talking about staring lustfully. It, it means staring at her, him, with the intention of using her and her beauty and, and the shape of her body to fuel something in you, to, to, to fuel sexual desire in me. So it's like, okay, I've noticed this beautiful, attractive person, body, whatever, and you know, I've already said, good job, God, and they, they don't need my help. Three seconds is up, and now I have a choice. I can, I can look away, and I can move on, I can change my thought process, or I can choose to, to go on to another behavior, which is just to play this like movie in your mind for your own pleasure. And noticing them wasn't the problem. It's this thing that we've allowed to, to like take root and settle in our mind and like Jesus would say, in our heart. And you, I mean, you can't stop beautiful people from crossing your sight line. I mean, but you have a choice about what happens next. You have a choice about going from just noticing to the look. You know, the most famous, Martin Luther had the most famous best quote about this ever. You've all heard it. He said, I can't stop a bird from flying over my head, but I can stop it from building a nest in my hair. I can, I can, I can, I can choose not to let seeing a beautiful person turn into the look. Because the look is a crack in your mind and in your heart that Satan loves to get into and, and, and wedge you away, right, from what is really good and beautiful and replace it with something that destroys. 
and that causes pain. And obviously, the look was a problem 2,000 years ago. But I'm gonna tell you, it is a pandemic now. It is, because we're not, we're not just tempted by a good-looking person walking past us anymore. You know, we're being force-fed these images through culture and through media and through pornography. And I will tell you, in the history of the world, there has never been a time when more people are tempted to the look than right now through pornography. You know, there are several um, streaming services, pornography, that have more daily streams every day than Netflix. Lots of them. Netflix isn't close. Um, some people say that the porn industry may be $97 billion a year. It's, it's huge. And you're the product. I mean, you're, you're what they're selling. They're selling you to these porn peddlers. That's how it works. And you know how, like when you watch Netflix, you know Netflix is watching you. Right, they're keeping track of what you like, and that way they can tell you, oh, you might like this movie. You watch a lot of comedies, maybe you'll like a comedy, right? That's, that's what they do, but porn metrics are way more advanced. They are tracking you know, what people watch and how long they watch it and where they pause and what they replay. It is a well-oiled, money-making machine, and they're selling you. They're selling the look. And the people running it are getting super rich, while the people that are actually in the videos are traumatized in ways that doctors don't even fully understand yet. And they're paid practically nothing, and then they're discarded like a piece of trash. And yet, still, what do people always say about pornography? The same thing they say about ogling somebody in person, the same thing they said 2,000 years ago, they say, who am I hurting, right? I'm not doing anything, just looking. It all happens inside of me. How's that, how's that hurting somebody else? So just real quickly, uh, we're going to talk about just a couple of ways. Um, and this is like whether it's in person or whether it's a picture that maybe somebody shared with you or whether it's in pornography. We're going to talk about who is hurt by the look. Because isn't that what everybody says? I'm not hurt anybody. So let's just, let's just talk about it. The, fir the first person hurt is kind of obvious, I think, and that is the object of the look, right? It's the person that you're looking at. And this is just so much like more profound, I think, than we, than we take it, I think. When we look at somebody like that, you know what we're doing? We are dehumanizing that person. Jesus came, Jesus came to show us and teach us and help us to understand what makes us as human beings created in God's image, what makes us different than the rest of creation, right? What makes us special to God? What, and what is it to really truly be a human being? That's what Jesus came to give us was this gift of real humanity. And when we, when we look at somebody like that, we are dehumanizing them. We are, we are taking away from them what separates them from the rest of creation. We're taking away from them what makes them special to God. We're dehumanizing them. We're, we're saying to them, you're not a human. You're not a human. You're an object. You are an instrument. 
This is literally reducing this person created in God's image to a tool, to a toy for your enjoyment. And this is, this is saying that that person, like your value, your, your purpose in life is not to rule the earth with God. And it's not to, to, to love people and experience Jesus and potentially create life. Your value, right, your purpose in life is to be a role player, an actor in this movie in my head. And what makes you good and what defines your value is that you give me pleasure. And I think Jesus would say, that if you see someone that way in your heart and you use someone that way in your mind in some ways, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, how is that different than rape? Someone does get hurt when we dehumanize a creation of God created in his image. And like specifically with porn, you, you want to know who porn hurts? Because like, well, I don't even know these people. I'll never even meet these people. How can I possibly hurt these people? Um, if you want to know, then I'm going to introduce you to a website that you should check out today. It's called fightthenewdrug.org. I think we got it on the screen there, fightthenewdrug.org. It's not a Christian website. It is just all kinds of data, articles, videos, just scientific studies about the effects of pornography. And what I learned when I went there, um, one thing is how porn drives human trafficking. And so, you know, as a Jesus follower, you can't not see the horror of sex trafficking. I mean, when teenagers, not teenagers, when nine, 10, 11 year old kids are sold, sold like gum, right? To be consumed and chewed up and spit out and their lives ruined forever and their families destroyed and then they're discarded, they're like trash or, or killed. Well, of course we all shudder about that but I'm telling you, if you're watching porn, you are part of that and if you want more explanation about how that works, go to that website, check it out. I will just say this to you, if you are using pornography, you are literally supporting human trafficking. Also, I found out on this website some interesting stuff. Uh, porn promotes sexual violence. I mean, we don't got a lot of time for that right now and we can't get into the whole thing, but I'll tell you, go to that website. It's not hard to access. There's videos or articles or whatever you wanna see. And you're gonna see that the research is pretty clear that people that watch porn are way more likely to commit sexual violence. And even if you don't, if you're watching porn, you are funding the industry that's promoting sexual violence. You're paying for it. And I just, I mean, when you watch porn, the person that you're watching, I mean, surely we know that that's, I mean, it's like we're watching professional wrestling, right? Surely we know that's not real. That's not real. That, that, that woman, that little girl, that man, that boy, they're not enjoying what they're doing. It's fake. 
it's fake. There's cameras and, and microphones and lights all around them when that's going on. It's fake and it's worse than fake. These people are being forced or coerced or deceived into the idea that this is all they are. This is your value. This is, this is who you are. What if that was your sister? What if that was your brother? What if that was your child? Because it is somebody's sister. And it is somebody's brother. And it is somebody's child. And that movie you're watching is not real, but those are real people. They have real lives. So, yeah, the look definitely hurts the person that we look at with lust. And then whether it's in person or a picture somebody sends you or in pornography, it hurts them. And, and it hurts you. I mean, you're, you're dehumanizing yourself. Sex isn't bad, it's good. But this thing of looking like that, seeing another person's value as how they give you pleasure, I mean, is that what you want to do? Is that, is that who you want to be? God, that's dehumanizing you. God created you for more than that. God created you for this amazing thing called sex. And in its place, man, it's, it's beautiful and it's awesome. And you know what? It's uniquely human. It really is uniquely human because when animals have sex, it doesn't create a bond for them, right? They're just procreating, man. They're, 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 it doesn't reflect God. When they, that doesn't reflect God. It doesn't, it doesn't make two animals one spiritually and emotionally and relationally. That is a uniquely human experience. It's, it's God's plan. It's beautiful. But when it's out of place, it, it dehumanizes us. And it turns us into, I mean, you've seen it. It turns us into nothing more than animals who care about nothing but maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain, and procreating, right? And that's an atheistic view of humanity. That's, that's how an atheist sees humans as just animals. But that's not how God sees you. So um, the damage done by sexual sin, including the look, including the look, is, is just, it's real, man. It, it can... It could be so devastating to your future marriage when you come into marriage with these distorted ideas about what sex is, and I'm, I'll tell you what else, there are some really horrific ramifications to you when you allow these images space in your brain. You know, scientists are just beginning to understand the physical damage that's actually caused to your brain by pornography. And you want to see some fascinating stuff about that. Again, that website, fightthenewdrug.org, um, really, it will, it will, it's fascinating. It's horrifying what we're doing to our own brains when we're watching this. So the look, it doesn't just hurt the object of the look. It, it hurts you. And I'll tell you something, it hurts God. It hurts God because at its core, Sexual sin is a violation of God's good plan from the creation story, right? I mean, 
You know, later, we're going to see, when we turn over a few pages in Matthew, we're going to see the Pharisees asking Jesus some questions about sex and divorce and marriage and all that. And where does he take them? Hyperlink, back to page one. That's where we're going, man. We're going back to page one, the creation story where God created humans in his image, one, one humanity and two genders, the same and yet, like, wonderfully different. And he gave them the opportunity to come together in this incredible way in this covenant relationship and kind of to become one. And it sort of reflects how God and humanity are different, right? And yet, in Eden, the two become one. And when a man and a woman come together in this beautiful covenant relationship, they have, it's, it's an opportunity to reflect the image of God. And not just in that way, they have another profound way. Uh, they have the opportunity to do what only God can do, to create life and to do what God said to do, to, to create families and communities and love each other and nurture each other. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's God's plan. It's, it's very good. It's very good. So whether it's adultery or sex before marriage or sex outside of marriage or pornography or this look, to Jesus, to violate this covenant in any way is to reject God. It's, it's to reject his plan. It's you choosing your own version of good and evil. Just like, I mean, does that sound familiar? While we're in page one, right? I mean, that's exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. It's you distorting what it is to be a human in the kingdom of God. It's, it's you choosing separation from him. And it, it breaks his heart. I mean, it breaks his heart just like it did when Adam and Eve chose sin over God in the Garden of Eden. So, how you guys doing? Are you enjoying the message so far? It's fun, huh? Okay, so we're almost done. Um, here's a good question. What are we gonna do, right? This is the, this, this very good thing that God created for us has become so corrupted and so contaminated in our world and in our hearts. It's, it is such a force. And, you know, Satan knows that. And now we know that. So what are we going to do? Jesus said, if any body part causes you to sin, cut it off. So one option we have, I call it the holy hatchet. <laughs> and out in the backyard, we've got a stump. And we can just line them up and chop them off. Or, I mean, I've never done it. Can't be that hard. Right? But Jesus said, like, it's that important, right? It's like that whole, well, that sounds, it's that. He said, he, he chose a shocking way to say that on purpose, right? Because he wanted us to say, oh my gosh, is it that big a deal? Yeah, yeah, it's that big a deal. So we can go with the holy hatchet. I'm waiting for everybody to settle down. They're kind of squirming a lot right now. Um, or 
we can try a couple of other ideas first, and then like, if you still need that help on your connection card next week, just check the box that says I need the holy hatchet, and we will <laughs> figure something. You can borrow ours, or you can you know, do it yourself, or whatever. Um, so here's a couple of other ideas to try first. Um, one is probably everybody old enough to hear this sermon. If you even know what I'm talking about, then you should educate yourself on the effects of pornography. Um, and check out that website, fightthenewdrug.org. You should get educated. Get educated. And then I think, like, get real, you know, and just, you know, call it what it is, man. This, this is very hard stuff. This is very difficult. Um, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us to overcome sexual sin. You know what it says to do? It says run from it. Don't even, don't mess with it, man. It's, you gotta get real. It's do not, it, it is, it is, uh, it is tough. So it's run away, right? It, 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 this is not, this problem is not going away because you heard a sermon, right? We have to guard our hearts. And dude, that is work. And it's gonna take time. And you're gonna have setbacks. And I will just tell you, I love you, but you are not strong enough to hang around sexual sin without getting sucked in. You're not. You ain't that good, right? David wasn't. David wasn't, right? What did David do? I'm just gonna look, right? I'm just going on the roof. I'm just going on the roof. Look, oh, what a beautiful city. Oh, look at that, a bunch of naked women. Oh, I'm just looking, right? You see what happened, right? David wasn't strong enough. I'm not strong enough. You're not strong enough. You gotta get educated. You gotta get real about this journey. And you know what else? Get in a conversation. Get in a conversation. We gotta quit being so afraid of talking about this, man. You've talked to your, really, talked to your spouse about, I bet there's people here that have been married 40 years that have never talked to their spouse about sex. Talk to your spouse about sex. Parents, you have to talk to your kids about sex. Somebody is. Somebody, lots of people are talking to your kids about sex. The only real question is, are you gonna get your voice on the list, right? People are talking to your kids about sex. Do you want your voice heard? If you're a parent, you've gotta, you, and I'll tell you this, kids, and this is the grossest thing, I know. <laughs> you gotta talk to your parents about sex. It's just turn the lights on. You know, and let's, let's talk about this very good thing. And, and I know it's intimidating and horrible and hard and scary. Uh, parents, I'll tell you a great website um, if you want some tips or some help about this. And a lot of anything to do with um, cyber anything as you're parenting your kids and you want to know how to talk to them is a great um, website, nexttalk.org. Check that out. If you've got kids, you should check that out. Um, get, get in a conversation. So get educated. Let's get real about what we're dealing with here. Let's get in a conversation and then get some help. Get, it was too much for David. It's okay that it's hard. It's, it's okay that if, if it's kicking your butt right now, that's fine. Let's just don't let it keep kicking it, right? It's, it's fine to get behind. Let's just don't lose the game, right? It, it, get some help. 
If you're, if you're struggling with porn, if you're struggling with any kind of sexual issues, there are ministries out there that can help. There's a great ministry in San Antonio called BeBroken.com. I'll read you their tagline. They're all about helping individuals and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ. That's an awesome, awesome research. We have a life group at this church for guys that are struggling against pornography. It's called Freedom Fighters. So I think we have, I don't know if we have their, there you go, there's their, there's their email address. There is an amazing app called Covenant Eyes. The guys in Freedom Fighters use it um, so that you can, we can like hold each other accountable for what we're looking at. What's on our phone, what's on our tablet, what's on our computer, you can get that. You don't even need to be in that group. It's, this is a big problem. This has been overwhelming people and causing unbelievable trauma and damage and pain since always, right? And it's, 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 the enemy has like ramped it up. He's got better weapons now than he had 2,000 years ago. Man, you just get some help. It's, we need help. Get some help. It's, this is a big, super important, really difficult thing to see sex and sexual desire as it really is. It's important and it's, it's very good. It's God's idea. But to see it that way and yet avoid the look, right, of lust that hurts and dehumanizes and distorts what it is to be a human being created in God's image. And I'm telling you, it breaks God's heart. So it is, it's tough. So get educated and get real and get in a conversation and get some help from a ministry or a support group. Call the church, I'll help you. But most importantly, get some help from Jesus. I mean, that's the reason that he's presenting this stuff the way he is, is that it starts on the inside. And we don't just need our eyes adjusted, right? We just don't need our behaviors modified. We need our hearts changed. And there's only one that can do that. So let's ask him for some help. Can we pray together about this? Jesus, thank you. When you were there creating everything, you intentionally gave us this amazing gift. And you intentionally created us in your image and you intentionally created us in two genders for the specific purpose of this topic so that we could have this amazing blessing from you of sex and sexual desire. And God, man, we, we, maybe we need to repent of how we've made it dirty and how we've made it ugly now we've given this good gift that you thought of and we've given it to Satan. We've given it to darkness and it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to us. So God, we, man, we're turning away from that. We wanna claim this amazing gift that you've given us. But God, we realize that just like fire, it is very, very good and it is very, very dangerous. So God, as the whole world seems to be conspiring to turn our heads and, and get us into the look and suck us into sin, God, we just, man, we need, we need you. We need your strength in us. Not, not us overcoming it. We need you, man. This is a supernatural battle. We need supernatural help. We don't need our eyes adjusted. We don't need our behaviors changed. We need our hearts changed. And so, Jesus, will you do in each one of us what only you can do? Will you renew our hearts? 
Will you, will you clean us and change us from the inside out? Not to take away from this beautiful, amazing thing, but so that we can fully enjoy and appreciate and experience what you want us to have, a way that we can celebrate what it is to be truly human, to be the human beings that Jesus came to make us, created in your image. And Jesus, I just pray that the world will see you in us in the way we love each other and care for each other and everything that we do, even, maybe especially, in this arena. So just man, change us. Help us. In your name. Amen.